Shelter like no one. Your 
can be seen. My message this morning is on confession. And I've always had this kind of wondering in the back of my mind um, questions about why is confession so important if God forgives us of our sins when we're saved? 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this, this sermon kind of uh, sprang from the idea of why is confession so important? What does it do? What does it accomplish? As you're being saved, confession of sin saves you. But once you are saved, what does confession accomplish? Why is it important? What does it do? Two passages of Scripture from the Old Testament, Psalm 32, is... Uh, Confession of, of David, of course, with his sin of Bathsheba. And you know how he tried to cover that up and what that did to him on the inside. Psalm 32, 1 through 7. Then we'll skip over to the New Testament, 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. So Psalm 32, 1 through 7 says this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered... Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what happened when he tried to hide his sin. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee. I did not hide my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to thee. At a time of distress, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Thou art a hiding place for me. Thou preservest me from trouble. Thou dost encompass me with deliverance. And then over to 1 John, the passage about confession. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So once you're saved, you still sin. Even Christians. No, no Christian is perfect except Jesus. Jesus was the only sinless person who ever lived. Um, but when you and I are saved, we sin. We're forgiven of our sins, but we have to confess those sins to restore fellowship with the Father. Let's pray. 
Father, teach us about confession. Humble us in your presence, in your awesome holiness. Help us to see our sin as you see it and confess it and find cleansing and restored fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's an outline in your worship bulletin for you to follow along because I think it's important for us as Christians to understand the importance of confession. It's something that we need to to incorporate into our lives. And usually what we say is in prayers, God, forgive me of my sins. You don't say any more than that. You You don't say anything specific. And all you're doing is asking for forgiveness. But I think confession at some point is important to restore fellowship with the Father. In conversation, somebody may point out a fault or a flaw in your life, and you'll say, well, nobody's perfect except Jesus. And uh, you might go on and, and you might admit you have flaws in general, but it'd be hard to pin anybody down on something specific. Somebody criticizes you, you say, well, I have flaws, but that's not one of them, or something like that. And we try to dance around our sins, our errors, our mistakes, and we certainly don't want to air our dirty linen in public. If you have flaws, and we all do, you have failures, you have mistakes, but you sure don't want to announce them. You don't want to let everybody know what they are. For instance, if you're going for a job interview, it's probably, you're probably better off not saying something like, uh, well, I need to be honest with you up front. I'm lazy. And I procrastinate to the last minute. I don't like to do what's asked of me. I complain all the time. I criticize everybody, my coworkers, especially my supervisors. And uh, I act like a know-it-all when really I don't know anything. How, would you get a job if you gave a, an honest interview like that? Probably not. What if, what if guys, you're asking a girl out for the first time and you say, I feel like I need to be up front with you about this. I'm an obnoxious know-it-all. And uh, I, I like to talk like I know everything. I talk a lot, especially if I don't know what I'm talking about. And when I eat, I like to smack and talk with food in my mouth and belch a lot. Girls, you've probably gone out with somebody like that, but I hope they didn't confess that up front is the point. One little girl was sitting in the corner in her classroom being punished, facing the wall, and, a, and another little girl came up to her and said, you know, to err is human. To admit it is stupid. And that's the way it is for a lot of us. But the question is then, why does the Bible teach the importance of confession? Why is it so important to be honest about ourselves with God? We can't even pretend to be perfect. It says, if we say in verse 10 of 1 John 1, if we say we have not sinned, what? We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So God knows we sin. You and I know we sin. But the problem comes in trying to act like we don't. And in failure to confess that sin to God. I want to talk about 1 John 1, 9 because it really is the crux of confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what that says is, is because God is righteous, he can't have fellowship with us in our sin. But if we confess our sin, 
then he is righteous to forgive us of our unrighteousness. And our fellowship is restored. The word confess there is really interesting. Uh, it comes from the Greek word homologeo. And, and that comes, it has a cognate, it's two words together. Legeo means to say or to speak. Homo means the same. So homologeo means to say or speak the same. It means to agree with. So when you're confessing your sins, you are saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. You are agreeing with God that what you have done is wrong. God says sin is wrong. You are agreeing when you confess, yes, God, I confess, I admit, I am saying the same thing about my sin that you have said all along. I am confessing it to you. Notice this verse doesn't say you have to ask forgiveness. It just says confess it. When you become a Christian, your sins are forgiven past present and future, but confessing your sin is agreeing with God that what you have done is wrong and it restores a broken fellowship. It restores a broken relationship with God. He doesn't stop loving you. Parents, when your child makes a mistake, you don't stop loving them. But when they come and confess to you that they've made a mistake, it restores even more trust and confidence and relationship and fellowship with your children. That's the same thing with God. He doesn't stop loving us. Our, our salvation isn't jeopardized. Our forgiveness isn't lost when we sin, but when we confess that sin, when we agree with God, when we say the same thing about our sin that God has been saying all along about it, then that relationship, that fellowship, that harmony is restored. God is so holy, he is so just, he is so perfect that he cannot even countenance our sin. He cannot tolerate it, he can't look at it. And he withdraws, he doesn't abandon, he simply withdraws. And when we confess our sin, that relationship is restored. Sounds easy. Why then is confession of sin so hard? Couple of, just a couple of excuses I've come up with uh, about why we have difficulty confessing our sin. The first one is, we don't think it's bad enough to confess. You told a little white lie. You might fudge on a test. You take a little something home from the office that doesn't belong to you. Is it really that big a deal? You know, is it really something you need to confess with, uh, about to God? See, the problem is we, we don't look at sin the way God does. We look at sin the way the world does. And there is a huge, huge difference. The world doesn't see that big a deal with sin because the world revolves with sin. But as I said, God is holy and just and righteous. And even a little white lie to him is a gaping black hole that damages fellowship with him. I was reading a story where a translator in Africa was trying to translate the Bible into a particular African dialect. The problem was in that dialect, there was no word for sin. So how do you translate the word sin into a dialect that has no concept of what sin is? The closest word he, he could come up with in his translation was something that meant for sin, something bad to eat. 
something bad to eat. And for a lot of people, that's all sin is, a matter of taste, something bad to eat. And if that's all sin is, then it certainly didn't require a radical solution like Jesus dying on the cross to forgive us from that sin. And the problem is, as I said, we compare ourselves not only to what the world says about sin, we compare ourselves to each other and we think, well, you know, if I'm doing better than this guy and that guy, then I must be doing all right. My sins aren't like theirs. You know, they, they're terrible. They're, they're awful people. And I'm a good person. My sins are minor in comparison to other people. We compare ourselves to each other, but, but who does God compare us to? He compares us to Jesus who is the sinless, perfect one. Now, how does your sin look in comparison to Jesus? It looks awful. Isaiah says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even the best thing you can do is like a filthy rag in comparison to the holiness of God. So we can't compare ourselves to each other and think our sins are minor. We compare ourselves to the perfection of Jesus. And when you see yourself in that light, in that high voltage spotlight that God shines on you, even your most righteous deed is like a filthy rag to him. Let me give you an example. Last Sunday, we were moving these pews in in preparation, these little short ones up here on the stage for the youth choir. And uh, I I wasn't lifting this by myself, but I kind of had one hand on the back acting like I was you know, doing something significant. And uh, when we set it down here on the floor, my hand slid along the back and there's a rough edge on the back of the pew and I got a humongous splinter, monstrous, gargantuan (laughs) splinter in my little finger and I couldn't wait to get home for Susan to pull it out with the pliers. Well, when I got home and showed it to her, she couldn't find it. So I got a magnifying glass and got some extra light. And she said, oh, okay, there it is. And uh, in about five seconds, she had it out. That's the way it is with God. We might ignore this little spot, that tiny blemish, that little mistake. But when God shines his light on you. That little splinter of sin looks like a giant telephone pole sticking out. When you compare yourself to the perfection of Jesus, not to each other, your sin is magnified in all its ugliness. Isaiah was a pretty good man, but in the presence of the holy God, In chapter 6, verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when God, when his penetrating eyes spotlight upon you, you see those sins for what they are. And all their blackness and ugliness. And you realize how desperate you are. If you close your eyes to the extent of sin, you're only fooling yourself. Martin Luther said, 
The ultimate proof of the sinner is that he does not know he sins. The ultimate proof of the sinner is that he doesn't know it. He has successfully deluded himself toward his sins. That's the first reason we don't want to confess our sins is, well, we've rationalized them, we've excused them uh, enough that we don't think they're bad enough. The second thing is we don't want to damage our reputation. You don't want people to think less of you. Even if you confess your sin to a trusted confidant, and I hope if you do share something very personal and private, you've made sure that the person you share it with has proven that he's trustworthy. But even speaking in, in private to a confidant, it makes you vulnerable and it can be frightening. And so you just kind of harbor those things to yourself. An office manager gave an employee at the end of the year a self-evaluation form and he told him to fill it out and then come in with, uh, with that form, that self-evaluation filled out for his annual review. And so the employee came in and he gave himself all the highest marks in his review of himself. And, you know, the office manager looked at it and he said, boy, I see you have, I mean, you, you consider yourself to be perfect. Don't you have any mistakes? Don't you have any flaws? And the employee said, well, if you don't know what my weaknesses are, I'm sure not going to tell you. <clears throat> and that's the way it is for us. We don't want to damage our reputation. We don't want people to think less of us, even with God. We don't want to share what we know is wrong, even though God already knows it. And he's just waiting for you to confess it, to agree with him, that it is what he calls it, a sin. The third reason we don't want to confess our sins is we don't want to damage our self-esteem. We are fragile with our, our own self-esteem. We struggle with self-confidence and dredging up bad things to confess might damage our opinion of ourselves, our own self-esteem. And, and this really occurred to me, I was singing a hymn years ago at the cross, at the cross. It goes like this, alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for a sinner such as I? You know that verse? That's not how it was originally written. Those of you who've been Baptist a long time, do you remember that verse in the old Broadman hymnal? Do you remember the word that was changed? I was singing out loud and it said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for what? For such a worm as I. Somewhere along the way, somebody took the liberty of changing for such a worm as I to sinners such as I. Why? Because all that worm talk made them a little uncomfortable. You know, they didn't like the idea of uh, damaging someone's self-esteem by comparing themselves to a worm. So let's, let's lighten that up a little bit and change for such a worm as I to sinners such as I. And that's what we do with sin. We ignore it. We rationalize it. We excuse it. We pass it off because we're afraid it might damage our own self-esteem. So that's why we don't want to confess sin. Why must we? Why must we? And this is what I really want to get to today. First of all, confession leads to repentance. When you confess your sin, you are repenting of it. You are saying to God, you're sorry. 
And when talking to, to children who want to join the church, I say, do you understand what it means to repent? And a lot of children will say no. And I say, well, sometimes you say you're sorry for something, then you turn around and do it again and again. So are you really sorry? And, and you know, I, I guess not. You know, if you keep doing the same thing over again, then you must not really be sorry. To repent means to turn around 180 degrees from whatever direction you're walking in. And when you say you're sorry for something, you're really, not only are you confessing that sin to God, but you're also, with his help, intentionally turning away from it, learning from that mistake, and with his help, not making it over and over and over again. You have an accountability partner, somebody that you can share your struggles with, your weaknesses with, in confidence. And that person can help you and ask you hard questions and keep you headed in the right direction. Dennis the Menace was saying his prayers beside his bed one night. His mom was standing in the doorway, eavesdropping. And Dennis said, God, please forgive me for all the naughty things I did today. Then he turned around and saw his mom standing in the doorway and he said, I'll have to tell you later. And that's the way it is. Find someone you can trust. Find someone you can pour your heart into and share with them your secrets, knowing that they won't go any further. And they can hold you accountable and help you work through whatever struggles you have, knowing that we all have them. And you need to make, need to make a fresh start with that. It leads to repentance. Secondly, it leads to the truth. You know, we serve and love and follow the God of truth. So how can we, how can lies inhabit us? Truthfulness is what God is all about. In our world, deception is the routine Confession is not easy. But if you follow the God of truth, then deception and lies separate you from him. And that fellowship, that relationship has been damaged. And you need to own up to it. Edward Scripps was uh, just starting out his job at the Cincinnati Post. And you know Scripps is like the founder of the Scripps News Service I think, is it the Scripps Spelling Bee? That's the national spelling bee now. And so he became a well-known publisher. But when he was just starting out at the Cincinnati Post, a woman showed up in Cincinnati who was a former mistress. And she threatened to blow the whistle on him if he didn't pay her off. She was blackmailing him. And uh, so what Scripps did was he called in all the all of his competitors, all of the news services, kind of like David Letterman did, and owned up to it and, and confessed everything. And, and what he did was just take away all the ammunition that woman had. Jesus says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So your secret won't stay hidden forever. The sooner you own up to it the sooner healing can begin. And that leads us to the last point. Confession leads to healing. And that's what basically David's talking about in Psalm 32, verse 3. When I declared not my sin, my body wasted away. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. 
Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin. I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions. Thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. And when you do that, that feeling that you have on the inside, that, that dying, that withering away. David says it's like withering in the heat of the sun. Have you ever seen a plant that withers like that? That's what was going on in David's heart. But when he confessed it, then healing was able to begin. I had a, a lady in my last church, and I think about this every time I read that passage. I was visiting her one day. She wasn't active in church, and I was trying to figure out why. And she said she was watching a, a nature channel one day, and, and this bird had been uh, eating food that had been, um, it was putrefied. It had some kind of disease or uh, infection or pesticide or something. It said it just kind of ate the bird away on the inside. And when they did an autopsy on the bird, they cut him open and found that a lot of his organs had just wasted away. And I was reading this passage of, in Psalm and I thought that's exactly what David's talking about. When you try to hide sin, when you try to cover it up, it eats you up on the inside. When you confess it, healing can begin. P.C. Wren wrote a book called Coward of the Legion. It was about a young soldier named Jean Dubonnet. I guess it was the French Foreign Legion. And uh, he rescued an officer in the heat of battle, and they were going to award him the Medal of Honor, and he refused it. And they, they couldn't, they tried to insist, you no, know, you, I mean, bravery in the line of duty, take this Medal of Honor. He said no, and he told him a story why. He said in his younger days, he had fallen in love with a married woman. The woman was married to a, like a crime boss, a criminal. And they fell deeply in love with each other, realized they could never be married. And so they formed a suicide pact to drink poison. So they got together, she drank her portion of the poison and then Dubonnet backed out. Some of his friends found out what he had done and they branded across his chest, liar and coward. And he said, there's no way I can wear a Medal of Honor on the outside with that brand burning me on the inside. And so one day he took a, a hot poker himself and scratched off the words liar and coward. And later on, when he was killed in the heat of battle, his commanding officer said, I have lost my bravest soldier. The marks of sin are more than just skin deep. But when you confess them to God, when you agree with God, when you say the same thing about your sin, that God has said it, He is faithful and he is holy, and he is just, and he is righteous to wipe that sin away because it's already been forgiven when Jesus died on the cross. Confess it, and you'll be made white as snow. Shall we bow? Father, there are a lot of ways and reasons and excuses that we try to avoid our sin. We know we're forgiven. We know we're going to heaven. 
God, we know what our sin does to you. It breaks your heart. And it separates us from you. You cannot have relationship. You can't have fellowship with someone that's harboring sin. We know our sin's already forgiven. It's been nailed to the cross when we invite Jesus into our heart. But when we sin, we take Jesus off the throne and shove him into a corner. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave. But that relationship has been damaged. Like a child who disappoints a parent. They don't stop being a child. So Father, we come to you. And we acknowledge those sins that we know are evil in your sight. And Father, help us not just to deal with them in generality, saying with a broad sweep, Father, forgive me of all my sins, but bring to mind those specific sins that have latched onto us like a steel trap and won't let go until we confess them and ask you to empower us to leave them behind. Then there's nothing stronger than the power of you working in us. Thank you for cleansing us, for the forgiveness that's available when we confess our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning for you to make some decisions about your own life, for you to make those decisions public if you feel you need to. I'll be at the front to receive you. You come. We'll stand and sing. Wonderful, the sure.